Welcome to Apple Arcade Plus, the show where you get to hear from the people behind Apple Arcade games. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. There's something in every game that we make called Founders Island. So Founders Island is a place on the map where we've put ourselves in. So if you manage to find this island, right, you'll see us on the island, like the, the developers, right, can talk to us. There's even a quest line in this game based on us, and you get a really, really cool reward at the end. These are things that we really had a lot of fun making, and we plan to keep this tradition going in all our future games. So expect to find the Gentle Bros in every game you play that comes from us. Welcome back to another episode of Apple Arcade Plus. In this episode, we are joined by Desmond Wong from the team that created Cat Quest 2. This game caught me by surprise. It really is a fantastic title that has a great art style, fun gameplay, an intriguing world with really funny puns about cats and dogs, and it reminds me of Zelda and all of the good ways that a game can. As a reminder, if you want to support the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Every review goes a really long way in helping others discover the show. And if there is a game you'd like for me to cover in the future, don't hesitate to reach out at applearcadepodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact game developers and let them know that you'd love if they would reach out to be on the podcast. With that said, here's my interview with Desmond, all about Cat Quest 2. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Desmond. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, can you first introduce yourself and Cat Quest 2? I'm Desmond Wong. I'm from The Gentle Bros, which is a studio based in Singapore. So we set up in 2015, and a lot of the co-founders and people who set up the company, including myself, we were actually from Koei Tecmo, which is a Japanese games publisher. We used to work on games like uh, Dynasty Warriors, Ninja Gaiden, console stuff like that. But we left the company, decided to do our own thing, and we set up Gentle Bros. And one of our most like famous or most uh, popular titles is actually the Cat Quest series. Cat Quest is a, it's an RPG where you play as a cat going on a quest to save the world from an evil villain or something, right? But the interesting thing about Cat Quest 2 is you get to play as a dog this time, including including a cat, of course, and it's a story about coming together, about working through your differences in order to save the world from war and, and impending doom. Yeah, so that's what Cat Quest is about. Very cool. And for those that didn't play the original, is the map you're exploring, at least the cat part of that map, is that what you'd find in the original and then it, it's expanded with Cat Quest 2 to have the dog realm in there as well? The Cat Kingdom in Cat Quest 2 has similarities to the first one, but it's been redone from scratch. So in terms of plot and storyline, thousands or hundreds of years after the first Cat Quest, so a lot of the world has changed. So you may recognize certain areas that, looks, that, that, that look familiar to the first game, but it has changed fundamentally in terms of geography and where certain towns are, where the main cities are, and things like that. But if you've played the first game, you'll definitely see certain like links and references to how the, the world of the Cat Kingdom looked like in the first game. Even if you've played the first game and you're coming into the second game, it's going to be a totally new kingdom to explore because everything's changed. Okay. And as far as NPCs then, since it is so far in the future... Are there, I don't know, relatives that you may recognize or um, what are the relations oh, yeah. with that? Yeah, for sure. So if, if you've played the first game, like uh, certain characters like the governor, you'll see his descendants in this game. Other characters like Kit Kat, uh, who is your blacksmith armorer, she's she's a constant in all the Cat Quest games because she's she's a very special kind of character. She doesn't age and she, she lives through all the different ages. 
So you see recurring characters like this. While playing the game, you also get references to other characters that you met in the first Cat Quest and are referenced now. For example, like uh, King Leonardo and, and different characters like that. Very cool. And can you tell me a little bit about the cat and the dog you're actually playing as and kind of their background and motivations for carrying out this quest? What we can say without going into too much spoilers in Cat yeah. Quest 2 is that your characters are actually kings. Right. So, but you are kings who were defeated in battle a long time ago, right? And you were brought back from your time to actually fight a battle this time because this world has has a huge issue going on right now, and your characters are actually there to defeat these villains and reclaim your thrones as kings. Okay. And having two characters allows you to do co-op as a first thing. Was that part of the inspiration? Having two characters being able to do. A proper co-op experience? Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, co-op was one of the first things we wanted to do in the game right from the get-go. The reason for this was after Cat Quest 1, we had a lot of fan feedback from people asking, like, can I, hey, can I play this game with my kids? Or can I play this game with my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend? Stuff like that. So we knew from, from a really early on that we wanted to add cooperative play into Cat Quest 2. And the best way we felt to do that, because an RPG is really story-driven, right? We knew we had to have two characters in the game right from the get-go to make co-op make sense, right? We didn't want to have, like, a story based on just one character. And if you play co-op, like, an imaginary character would just pop out of nowhere and you would suddenly control that character. We wanted both characters to be integral to the story. And we wanted the whole experience to be based around these two characters, so it would make the cooperative play have make much more sense. And did you ever have a moment in development where you thought maybe these two characters at some point in the story should not like each other so much and perhaps fight each other? Is that I haven't finished the game, but I'm not sure if that is something you considered. Oh yeah, I mean the storyline was these two characters were cat and dog characters in Cat Quest 2 used to have a lot more dialogue like because now now they're silent protagonists right but initially first draft or the first rendition of Cat Quest 2 these characters talked a lot when they first had to work together they didn't really like each other right because like cats and dogs right don't typically like each other a story of them having to put up like apart their differences in order to work together to solve the problems at hand but as we made the game in that way and as we tested it with people because of, of, of how it's such a cooperative experience, we just felt it was better and more in line with the first game if the main characters were silent protagonists again. Because the cat in the first game was a silent protagonist as well. So the game had a very particular feel that we didn't want to lose. The fact that it was cooperative play as well, we wanted the players to put in their own personalities into the characters, right? So we chose to make them less talkative and not even talk at all, right? But yeah. we wanted to show these differences between the cats and dogs in the other characters as well. So if you were to play the game, like the idea of the cats and dogs not liking each other are not present in the main characters, but they are present in Kit Kat and Hotto Doggo, right? Who are like the blacksmiths of the game, right? So these are the characters that we wanted to do this with. Because as you play the game, they would need to put aside their differences in order to work together to reach the goal at the end. It's just kind of like transferring where this like storyline would come from, essentially. Gotcha. And as far as co-op, uh, is it right that you can hook up two external controllers on, say, an iPad uh, to do that? Uh, or what, what platforms support 
co-op out of the box? Yeah, every platform supports co-op out of the box. Okay. Uh, on Apple Arcade, on iOS devices, you can hook up two Bluetooth controllers like a PS4 or Xbox controller, and you can play the game co-op. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that at least when I use the PlayStation controller, the buttons in the game recognized that's what I have hooked up. I'm not sure if you hook up an Xbox if it would... Uh... Yeah, it does. Yeah, it would. It does. Okay. Very cool. And then... I guess uh, if you're using touch controls, that wouldn't work at all uh, as far as co-op, right? Uh, no, it won't. The minimum requirement if you want to play co-op on an iOS or mobile device is you need two controllers. Gotcha. Yep. And then if you are just a single person playing the game, you're able to switch between the two characters. And the second character almost works as kind of a lifeline for if you're in a tough spot and your first character dies, the other one is there to to let you keep playing right exactly and it basically adds a whole new host of strategies because compared to the first game where you only had one character you only kind of had one like preset of of a kind of character you want to do right like whether it be like a tanker kind of character or like a magic based character but now in cat quest 2 because you have two characters to play with you can deck up one of them as a mage while the other as a close range melee and especially if you're playing single player, you can press a button to switch between those two characters at will. If you're ever in a situation where you, okay, I need I need my magic powers in this situation, I can just switch to my character, which I've decked out with all my magic gear and spells and stuff for him to do his thing. And if I ever need my melee guy again, I can switch back to the melee character. So it's kind of like working with two setups at one go, like two presets. The kind of strategies and the kind of... Uh, attacks you can do is much more varied right now in the second game as compared to the first one and the magic meter that's unique to each character or is that shared between yeah so the the mana bar which is the magic meter you're talking about is unique to each character if one character uses a spell it doesn't affect the mana bar for the second character okay yeah so you could be um kind of bouncing back and forth and as you're using the other character the other character will keep fighting in a way that will kind of regain that meter or Exactly. Yeah, it is. So it's a good idea to keep switching, right? So like once you've used up all the mana in one character, you can kind of switch to the other character which with who would most likely have a full bar and you can use him to cast like some spells as well. It's really cool because we have some spells that work well with each other, but they cost too much mana for one character to cast both at the same time, right? So for example, there's, there's a spell which is kind of like a black hole and we have another spell where it kind of shoots this giant laser at a very specific point that you choose, but it takes a really, really long time to charge and trigger, right? So enemies can kind of like walk out of the blasting zone if you don't do anything. So that's where the black hole comes in, right? So it's, it's a great combo if, if you can cast these two spells at the same time. So there's stuff like this that encourages players to switch between characters. And also if you're playing cooperative mode, players would be able to work together to do really cool combos and do lots and lots of damage. And I guess it also encourages you to experiment with kind of how you equip your characters with all the gear you kind of gather during the game. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can totally give one character all your support spells. I've been reading online and there are players who just give their their second character like the healing spell, right? Because that's kind of like the only spell that character has. So the AI has no choice but to... <laughs> to kind of keep casting a spell. Yeah, so it's like it's like exploits like that, 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 that we find pretty cool. Yeah. Now, as you earn money, do you have suggestions on the most important things to upgrade first with that money? Yeah, sure. When we are playing the game, we always upgrade the spells first. The reason for that is because that's the only way to make your spells stronger. Mm. If you want to upgrade your armor or your weapons, that's fine too. But 
you'll be able to find those specific armors and weapons while exploring dungeons and caves. But the only way to upgrade spells would be with the arcane universities that are, that is in the Cat Kingdom. So we would suggest leveling up, spend most of your money on spells, and if you have leftovers, try to level up like the weapons or gear you like after that. Okay, and are some enemies weaker to fire and ice, or are they all kind of treated equally with the damage and how they react to the spells? Oh, of course, uh, yeah. Every enemy has weaknesses and strengths, right? Yeah. So, for example, like the, the magic-based enemies, like the mages or those more attuned to, to magic, they're weaker to physical attacks and more resistant to magical attacks. The fire fox, for example, he's really resistant to fire, but he's super weak to ice. And the two main villains in the game, Wolfen and Liner, they both each have their own weaknesses and strengths as well. So playing the game is a huge part of knowing and remembering what enemies are weak against, so you can use the element that would just totally wipe them out. Gotcha, yeah. And what inspirations did your team have in creating, I guess, both the original Cat Quest and this game? Any other games and movies or media that kind of inspired you? Our major inspirations, especially in games, were Zelda and the older Final Fantasy games. We really loved the idea of like traversing an overworld, right? So yeah. like like a la, like the old Final Fantasy games. So so that that's why Cat, the Cat Quest series has this kind of art style where you're navigating the overworld. But we didn't like how every time we got into battle, you know, the game would like like pause. It would, the screen goes, and then you get transported to like a separate battle zone, right? We, yeah, we wanted a more seamless experience, but wanted to keep the overworld traversal idea. So we decided, hey, let's just put the enemies like literally on the map itself. Yeah. Right. So everything, everything's on the map. Like even the towns are on the map. The NPCs are on the map. We ended up getting like a really cool and unique feel and visual style for the game where it's like you're playing an RPG, but it's it all takes place on the world map. Yeah, it's like a, it's top down, but it's like at an angle. It's like, yeah, it's, it's exactly, kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, I like it. And then you're able to do, if you don't want to fight that enemy, kind of run away from him as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But if you want to get into like a cave or open a chest, and if there's an enemy nearby, you need to defeat that enemy. Uh, in order to open those treasure chests. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I've noticed that. And uh, that can be frustrating if you're being... <laughs> there's a lot of them. Yeah, it makes sense for sure. And uh, I love all of the animal influence and kind of personality throughout the game. Uh, do you have any favorite examples of how cats and dogs kind of have influenced the world and language, I guess, used in the game? <laughs> Language-wise, most definitely the puns, right? <laughs> yeah. Our idea behind the language was the cats all talking cat puns and the dogs all talking dog puns. So sometimes there will be situations where the dogs won't really understand the cats because of like the different quote-unquote languages they use. That was really fun for us. We tried to put as much of, of like what we know about cats and what cats really are as opposed to what the media knows cats as. Like, for example, there's, there's lots of tropes that cats and dogs have that we've gotten comfortable and familiar with growing up by watching TV shows, movies, and stuff like that. Some, sometimes, like, people won't really know what, uh, like, like what these tropes are in real life. Like, for example, like catnip, right? Catnip is always something that, that like, like, growing up and watching movies and, and TV shows is something that we, we know cats like and things yeah. like that. But 
in actual catnip is kind of like a drug for cats in a sense. Totally. And if for a dog, the dog would eat catnip. I believe it makes them more tired and the cats uh, yeah, the opposite yeah. effect, right? Exactly. So it, it's stuff like this that we wanted to put in the game, right? Stuff like this that like things that people didn't really know about cats and dogs that we wanted to integrate into the world. And we also use like certain specific characteristic traits of these animals into the world design as well. So for example, dogs like to like to dig, they like to bury their stuff, right? So yeah. the, the entire dog kingdom is set inside like a huge desert and their entire society is built around excavating like lost ruins because they like to dig stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's stuff like that that we've thought about and tried to integrate integrate into the world design as well. Did just this question kind of just came up. Did your office have any office cats or dogs? Not really. We are like a re- we work in a really unique way. So we work almost completely remotely, right? So uh, I personally don't have a cat or dog, but my co-founders, one of them has kind of like there's this cat that hangs around outside her house a lot of the time, and she really loves cats. So a lot of like the inspirations from for for what to do with cats and stuff comes from her. Yeah. That's kind of the most unique story that I can tell about that. So in the sequel, you from the get-go wanted to do co-op and you did that by having two characters. Were there any other advancements that you wanted to achieve in this game from the original? In terms of like pure content, we knew we wanted to have more. By adding a completely new kingdom, that kind of ensured that we had do double the content, which kind of killed us. In hindsight, in terms of like mechanics, one of the biggest complaints that we had from the first game was that there wasn't much variety in the way you play the game, right? Because in the first game, you could only attack. You only had that three-hit combo and you had a few spells to choose from. For the second game, we knew we wanted to improve that. So we added two new weapon types. So that's the the most different and unique one is the magic-based weapons, right? So because now instead of a close-range weapon, the magic-based weapons shoot from afar. It's a totally new way of playing because you're, you're not trying to get close to the enemies this time. You're trying to maintain distance from them instead, right? So you're trying to shoot them from afar and use ways to keep the distance between you and the enemies. We also have like another weapon type, which is like kind of like a heavy weapon, great sword kind of weapon. It's super slow moving, but it does a lot of damage, right? So the, how, the yeah. way you play is different as well. The major goal was giving players like new ways to play a game that they already love, right? In addition to that, uh, as you play the game, you unlock these things called royal arts, right? And royal arts are things that kind of improve your characters in certain ways and changes some of the abilities. One of the royal arts that we that we like the most is the power roll, right? So what that does is it changes your roll into something that damages enemies instead. It kind of changes the way you play if you know how to use it. Instead of just rolling away from enemies, you want to roll into enemies now because you want to do some damage. What we want to do was just change the way players play the game or give them the options to do so gotcha and the rolling attack i i had a lot of fun playing with that does that level up as you grow as a character or is that kind of a set damage no it's not a set damage so it, it levels up in the sense that it's based off your physical attack stat okay the high yeah the higher your stats are the more damage it does gotcha and i noticed as it's playing you're able to drop quests did you find during play tests that Perhaps someone got into a quest that they were kind of under-leveled for and they needed a way out to explore the world more and, you know, go to some caves that are a little bit lower and kind of get better with their, their player stat. Yeah, for sure. So, like, uh, this isn't unique to Cat Quest 2. So, abandoning quests 
has been from the first game, like right from the get-go. And you're exactly right. Like the reason we do this is because players can take quests that are way above their level. Like we don't stop players from from doing things like that. If a player and ever ends up taking a quest that is much too difficult for the player, they need a way to kind of like abandon the quest and try another one, right? So so that's kind of why we have this system in place. Yeah, because if you're just trying to mainline through just the story, you're going to very quickly hit uh, a level where you're trying to take something that's 15 or 20 levels above you and it gets really hard really quick. That's right. But that's the beauty of it as well because in Cat Quest, you can not only get stronger by leveling up, but you can get stronger by finding really awesome equipment as well. Again, we don't stop players from wearing different gear that's way above their level. So you can be level 1, but you can be wearing like a level 99 chest plate or, or using a level 99 sword, right? Yeah. So you can actually use these things to overcome like the level disparity in the quest. We found out that a lot of players had fun doing it because it's kind of like proving to the game like, ah, I can do this at like a lower level than you want me to be, right? Like it's almost like I'm beating the game at its own game. And that's kind of like a like the cool feeling that we want the players to have. And these things translate to everything in the game as well. So you can go into a dungeon that's way higher level than you. But if you find some way to avoid all the enemies in the dungeon, you can theoretically get to certain treasure chests inside that super high level dungeon and get the super high level gear there as well. And and doing that feels great because it's super challenging to accomplish. Yeah, I, I bet. That seems, <laughs> that seems pretty cool. So you mentioned you're able to level up kind of your character itself the weapons have different levels the magic yeah Mm -hmm. so the player level as you gain xp what is that influence is that purely health of your character or what is that your base stats which is your health your physical attack and, and your magical attack so every time you level up these three things improve by a certain amount based on your level your mana stat which is your mana bar right how much mana you have that's influenced by how many spells you have so every time you unlock or collect a new spell it increases your your mana bar by a certain amount and that matches between the two characters regardless of where you assign the spells right yes it it, it, it's a permanent increase to both characters and when one character levels up the other levels up as well it's a really cooperative experience you won't ever be at a stage where like you're playing with a friend and you're lower level than your friend or your friend is lower level than you yeah that that's not what we wanted yeah. Uh, that being said, there's certain gears that you can equip on your characters that would change these stats, right? There is a gear that gives your character more mana, for example. And if I were to equip that on the cat, for example, the cat would have more mana than the dog. Yeah, and stuff like that. For localization, I wanted to ask this earlier when we were talking about uh, the, <laughs> okay. you know, the language of the, all the cats and, and dogisms. How did right the puns? Yeah, the puns. How did that go for the different languages that CatQuest is available in? Right, that's a great question because it was something that we were really concerned about, especially in the first game. Like we weren't sure how these puns would translate to like German or Russian and stuff like that. But what we quickly found out is that if you get like a good localization team, it is actually possible to translate these puns into something that would be funny in another language as well like in the like specifically we we can't really go into too much detail because we don't really speak those languages right. but from what we hear from our fans and people their feedback to us they said like wow the localization is great in french for example because 
like a lot of the puns um, still made it through. Just basically reading based on our layman knowledge of these languages, like what we found out is like meow, right? In English, it's like M-E-O-W, right? In another language, it could be M-I-A-O-W. So it's actually almost essentially the same. And sometimes it's not that difficult to transfer like a pun from one language to another. Starting work on CatQuest 2, what we did was we just... We just make sure we made the game worked well in English and we'll just leave the rest to the translation team. Yeah. And with the move to Apple Arcade with CatQuest 2, did that kind of mm-hmm. make the localization even uh, further than maybe with the original game? I, I know uh, the Apple Arcade requires quite a bit of languages to... Uh, yeah, for sure. Like I think the first game had like less than 10 languages that we localized in, but we had to do like almost 19 to 20 languages for CatQuest 2. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a really daunting experience because uh, there are some languages that we weren't familiar with that had like fundamental changes to how the text is displayed on screen. Like uh, for example, Arabic. Arabic isn't a left to right language. It's right. actually a right to left one. So um, that completely changed like the way we could display text, right? So it took us like a long time to revamp a lot of the different things in the game. Now, because a lot of our UI and a lot of the way we structured a lot of the things was assuming that the text was left to right, right? Like the way we would display our character avatars. In the overworld, map itself has language kind of text yeah, yeah text on the world itself yeah. yes it was super challenging like uh like getting arabic in and, and other languages but there are tricks in place that that we learned from working on the first game that helped us have a smoother experience this time around like for example you were saying the map text right having a text on the map itself is really important that the text doesn't overrun its boundaries that that would mean like the text could go under a tree or it could go into the water and stuff like that we had to have like boundaries in place that would keep the text where it's supposed to be and if the text were to go outside of its boundaries the engine will be smart enough to resize the text so it'll be small enough to fit within like the box that we've assigned it so it, it, it's certain things like that that we prepared really early on in development. So when the other languages come in, there would be like minimal effort on our part to make sure every text kind of looks good. Because certain languages like uh, like Russian and German are like super duper long. If it's kind of just a really short word in English, it's super crazy long in like German or Russian. Right. Yeah. So we, we had to make sure like those fail saves were in place like right from the early goings. Did being in Apple Arcade influence any other aspects of the game? Not really, because by the time we got into Apple Arcade, the game was almost near completion, and Apple really already liked what they saw. We didn't really need to change much of the game itself. What we had to do instead was support all the different iOS platforms right? that were available, like tvOS, macOS, and, and the controller support. So controller support was something that wasn't in the first game because of uh, the support we got from Apple and the fact that we're on Apple Arcade. We could do controller support this time. Very cool. And for exploring the world, there's fast travel. Can you kind of explain how that works? Fast travel in CatQuest 2 is based on these structures called the kings, the king markers, right? So the king markers were structures that were used by the old kings to traverse their kingdoms, right? So it's something that's unique to a king. Going into these king marker structures, basically it's, it's like another place. You go in and you see kind of like a lot of different portals that would go to different parts of the kingdom. But you won't be able to access those portals unless you find the king marker that is assigned to that portal. So you need to kind of traverse the world map to find these various king markers 
unlock them and you unlock the portals inside them in which you can use to just kind of like hop between different parts of your kingdoms. And eventually you'll be able to find these uh, markers as well in the Dark Kingdom, which will allow you to easily jump between the two kingdoms as well. Gotcha. And then something I'm curious about is you're on the story campaign and when you're done with that story, are you able to keep exploring the world and hit up caves you missed before you finished it? Or how, how does that work at the very end of the game? Right, so at the very end of the game, after you've beaten the last boss, right, you unlock the final quest, which is the epilogue. So after you've completed the epilogue, the game saves before you take the quest. So when you reload your save, it'll put you right before you took the final epilogue quest. So you can use that chance to explore the world and do whatever you, you've, you've missed or whatever you want to complete. But taking the epilogue ends the game. So you see the credits after that and it's, there's no turning back after the epilogue. Gotcha. It's fine because you can just reload your save and you know just, just continue as per normal. Yeah, that's pretty uh, common. Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Breath of the Wild, all mm, those exactly, do that yeah. kind of similar approach to that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, favorite parts of the map or world that you're just really fond of? There's something in every game that we make called Founders Island. So Founders Island is a place on the map where we've put ourselves in. So <laughs> if you manage to find this island, right, you see us on the island, like the, the developers, right? You can talk to us. There's even a quest line in this game based on us, and you get a really, really cool reward at the end. These are things that we really had a lot of fun making, and we plan to keep this tradition going in all our future games. So expect to find the gentle bros in every game you play that comes from us. I guess cats don't swim, but dogs would. Um, but are there boats eventually in the game? Being kings, like you learn royal arts, right? And one of the royal arts allows you to walk on water. Eventually, you you gain the ability to just literally run on <laughs> water and <laughs> and get to where you need to go. Gotcha. Very cool. You're exactly right, because cats don't swim, right? Nope. So. Yeah, we we needed an, we needed another way for them to. <laughs> yeah, the dog would carry the the cat in its mouth or something. That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, games that are achievements. Uh, a lot of games do this, uh, obviously with that barcade. And something I really appreciate about how you guys implemented them is you have that little icon that kind of fills up over time, which gives you a nice little indicator with how far along you run the story and different achievements. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any favorite achievements? kind of worth talking about um personally not really because all the achievements are basically kind of like milestone achievements right like they they basically just track how much of the game you've completed yeah we don't really have any particular achievement that we like except for the one it's not so apparent on apple arcade but on like ps4 there's like the platinum trophy Mm -hmm. yeah so that's obviously my personal favorite because it shows that you've done everything you've 100 percent You've 100% the game, yeah. You've totally done everything you could possibly do, yeah. And I imagine that would mean every single cave has been explored and... Exactly. Every single dungeon, every single quest. Maximum character level? Is that 99? Is that... So, okay, so when the game first launched, the, the cap for the level was 99, and we had an achievement for that. But after an update that we launched, I think a couple of weeks ago, we've raised the cap to 999, so... So, but we don't have an achievement for that yeah. because I think that's that's a little crazy. <laughs> so, but, 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 yeah, that, that that cap is there for people who who want it. And I want to talk a bit about the map itself. Did you ever consider adding markers to help you as you're like looking at the map 
a zoomed out and kind of scrolling through it to set a marker to I want to go here and kind of have some kind of guidance as to where to, to walk to get there. To be completely honest, it wasn't something that we thought of doing and it wasn't something that we ever thought of doing. Kind of like the main tenets of the Cat Quest series was we wanted to keep things super accessible, uh, super simple to understand and super simple to play. Like the, the design methodologies we would use was reductive, right? So we will always ask ourselves like, like what can we take away uh, from the design or what can we remove from the game but still keep the spirit and the core mechanics in. That would reduce the game to its core fundamentals. Early on, we just didn't feel like uh, placing markers on the map was something that affected the core experience. So we never ever thought of it, but we do admit that we've had a lot of players ask us for that, like leaving markers on the map so they can see where they could go and, and, and come back to it later and things like that. So it might be something that we would add in later on, but we would want to find like a really cool way of doing, like a really simple way that players can do that. And uh, get on the map with iOS devices, pinching and zooming in and out of maps. Is that something you looked into for that version? I know that'd be a bit tricky on, say, uh, PS4, unless you want to use the touchpad or something like that. So that, that was something that we had an idea of doing, right? So the reason we, do, we didn't do that was because of, I want to say technical reasons, but not really. It's just, it's just the way that we've zoomed out the map, right? Because of the way we're streaming in the different assets and the way we're populating the world with the trees and, and stuff like that, like giving the player the ability to pinch and zoom in and zoom out would be quite challenging to do because we will need to like update what assets are being streamed in on the fly as the players do that. So right now, having just one zoom out level, we can assume like, okay, players can only see from here to here. That lets us like re- really easily control what gets streamed in as the player moves around the map. Because un- unlike other games where when you see the zoomed out version of like the world and the map and stuff, it's like a, sometimes it's like a completely different asset altogether. Like in Breath of the Wild, when you access your map, it's like a totally hand-drawn version of the world, right? But in Cat Quest, when you access your world map, it's it's literally a zoomed out version of the world. So all the assets you see are the real world assets in the world itself. We met a lot of technical challenges trying to get it to run well on um, on devices like the Switch and things like that. So yeah, pinching would be quite tough for us. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> the audio design, I personally really loved how it was one of the few games where I could play in like the living room in a shared space and have the sound on. And it's kind of subtle, but draws you and it's not an overpowering kind of audio design can you speak a bit about how you guys developed that we're really happy to hear that because uh, we, we didn't really do much like anything special in that sense like i think some of the things that we had to take note of was we wanted to make sure the balance between like the sound effects and the balance between the the background music and the general ambience music and stuff were really balanced so the audio sound effects of your sword hitting an enemy it shouldn't really overpower like the background music, right? And the background music can't be too loud that it distracts you from gameplay. So it's it's a lot of these things that we wanted to, to make sure we got right, like the balance. In terms of background music, we had to make sure that we had different variations of the, the different overworld pieces that we had, like the, the different sounds and music pieces, right? So it wouldn't keep replaying like the same track all the time, right? So... So having different variations allows the game to randomly switch between them to keep things sounding fresh 
and it helps that we have like another kingdom as well which where we can have like totally new tracks and hopefully if players are playing the way we anticipate them to play they'll be like jumping between the two kingdoms quite regularly so mm-hmm. they'll always be hearing something fresh and something and something new so it doesn't grate on the ears and get stale from like listening to the same track over and over and over and it, i was thinking about just the inventory of gathering all these weapons. Do you ever run out of mm-hmm. slots? Do you have to give up kind of your weaker weapons at some point? Uh, no, this, so that's not something that we want to do because we wanted players to have the joy of completing a collection or something. So you can complete your collection of uh, swords, your collection of, of armor and stuff like that. Because like a lot of times when, when we're playing other RPGs, like you collect a lot of random junk, right? Yeah, you collect totally. this awesome test piece that's like weaker than the one you have already and you just like discard it or you sell it or you throw it away, right? So like each armor piece starts to feel like um it doesn't really feel consequential. Uh, but we wanted every piece in, in Cat Quest to to feel like it's part of something else, like a part of a collection and and you want to complete everything. You want to find every last gear to finish your collection. Yeah. And the look of the game, the the art style and everything, is that a continuation from the original entry? Is the mm. look and feel changed at all in this the sequel? What we like to say is we feel like the art style evolved from the first one, right? Like It's still very much recognizable as a Cat Quest game, right? But we really try our best to improve certain aspects and push it really to the max of what this art style could be. It's still recognizable as Cat Quest, but uh, it's much improved as well. So now the environments are a lot more detailed. If you're familiar with art, the art style in the first game was, it, it felt more like simplistic in a sense, but the art style in Cat Quest 2 is a lot more nuanced. It, it, it references a lot of uh, techniques used in anime and cartoons and things like that, where like the main characters all have outlines, but the backgrounds are all hand-painted with a hand-painterly style and stuff. So yeah, so what this does is it creates a really nice like contrast effect. So your characters really pop out. We've improved like many things like the shaders, the particle effects and things like that. So it's essentially still the same art style, but it's just much, much more improved. Gotcha. Yeah. And during your playtesting, how long does the main campaign take to play? Or I guess if you're from that to, I guess, 100 percenting it, is it uh, is it? What's kind of the range of, of playtime? Right, so on average, we found out most players, they took about like uh, 10 to 15 hours to complete the, the main story and about like 15 to 20 to get 100%. Uh, obviously, your mileage would vary depending on what kind of player you are. If you're like a super like seasoned gamer, it might take you a much shorter time. As well as like if you're playing a game with a friend or playing a game by yourself, your mileage may vary as well. Gotcha. And as far as playing it a second time, New Game Plus, is that a thing in this game? It sounds like it kind of saves before you finish the epilogue. Yep. So when you complete the epilogue, a new mode unlocks in the main menu, and that's New Game Plus, right? So when you go into New Game Plus, you can actually select your save file that you want to use. You can go on from there. But the cool thing about the way we're doing New Game Plus is we're letting players select their plus level. Most games, like for example Dark Souls, right? Like when you play New Game Plus, you need to complete NG Plus before you unlock NG Plus Plus, right? But for Cat Quest 2, what we've allowed players to do is with again like continuing the methodology of what Cat Quest is, we've allowed players to choose their NG Plus level right from the get go. And we have a max of eighteen pluses. Huh. Yeah, so you can actually yes, yeah, so you can actually start an NG plus eighteen, like right from the start, if you so wish, right? So 
So what this also means is like, obviously, you sh- we don't recommend you do that because you <laughs> probably won't be able to beat the game. But what this means is like, you can control your difficulty level in a sense. And there's lots of replayability because there's like 18 plus levels for you to, to play through as you, as you go through a new game plus. Yeah. And I further remember when I started my original save file, the base game... There's no. Mm-hmm. Is there a difficulty level to that, or is it just the standard? And then once you get in the new game plus, that's where you're able to ramp it up. Yeah, there is no difficulty in CatQuest Two. Uh, we've designed it with just one difficulty in mind. But yeah, so the the the, the, the difficulties only come in at the new game plus stage. Okay. Yeah, you've already completed a game. You already know what's the game about. Uh, now you want to try and like push yourself to see how far you can go. And what carries over to that new game plus? Is it your all your gear and does your level start over? What, what what carries over? Everything carries over, including your royal arts, including water walking, except the keys. So like any keys you've collected like to unlock new places, those don't carry over, but everything else does. So your levels, your spells, your gear, and, and everything. So that's really cool because what this means is you unlock water walking right from the beginning, right? So yeah. you can actually do a lot of cool things with that. Like you can, you can, you can technically walk to the Dark Kingdom right from the start we we don't mind if players break like the flow and the order of the game because they've already played it before right and they yeah. want to try something new they want to try and break the game and things like that and we allow players to do that yeah it's super cool so you mentioned that you did an update that lets you level up to level 199 any other updates planned for the game we're working on an update right now in fact two updates one of them is Mew game right so Mew game is like a it's something that we introduced in the first cat quest so what that is is it allows you to play the whole game, but with modifiers. So these modifiers could be try to beat the game at level one, or try to beat the game with by not wearing any armor, right? So these are different modifiers that you can apply to the game that will make the game more challenging or force you to play differently. And you want to try and beat the game with these modifiers turned on. And depending on how many modi- modifiers you've turned on, you get a very specific reward at the end. Obviously, with more modifiers turned on, you get a bigger reward. And these rewards can be transferred to your main save file, and you can use it in your main save game. So that's Mew game, right? We're also working on, on another update called the Infinity Tower. So that update, we don't really have much to share yet because uh, we're still working the foundational stuff of it. But uh, this is going to be a more story-based DLC, and it's going to bring back some characters from the first game that players would definitely recognize if they've played the first one. Very cool. And you say DLC, is that something included for Apple Arcade and like a paid DLC on other platforms? Oh, no. Um, all the updates are free. And, and obviously for Apple Arcade, it would just be like a regular update. Very cool. Anything else about Cat Quest 1 or 2 that you want to share before we wrap it up? No, I think that's great. Like, it was like, we talked a lot. <laughs> we did, I, yes. I think, like, I think we've shared quite a little bit. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Excellent. And where can people find more information about Cat Quest? You can go to our Facebook page. I'll uh, look it up and add it to uh, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, you can find us at Twitter at The Gentle Bros. And yeah, that's basically where you can find us and talk to us. And oh, right. We have a Discord channel as well. So do join it with lots of cool people in it every day talking about cats and dogs and we are sharing really cool stuff about that and obviously talking about the games so so the best place if you want to like find us with the greatest ease because we're, we're always on there and we're always talking to the fans on our discord fantastic thank you so much for your time today it's been great chatting with you about cat quest it's it's a great game thanks Tim oh thank you so much yeah it was great talking to you as well well, that was my interview with Desmond. As mentioned at the top of the episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Every review is of huge help in improving discoverability of this show. 
With that said, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to everyone again real soon.